This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Yannick Mania. And I'm Luc Olivier Dumoble. And our topic this week is... The iMac 24-inch Apple Silicon M1. I've been waiting for this one for so long. Me too. It got bumped by other topics, but it's finally here. All right. But first, we have some follow-up. And actually, I have to start this with an administrative note. Uh, as we've been doing for the past few years, we're going to be taking a summer hiatus uh, in a few weeks. Uh, specifically, it's going to be after episode 187 on July 17th. And we are planning to return on September 11th with episode 188. Uh, you may have noticed that the hiatus is two weeks longer than usual, but we needed to do that so that things would line up in the rest of the year. Uh, so... Yeah. Oh, and like you, you can also say that I needed to recharge my battery a bit well, more that too. Uh, this year. So. It's certainly nice, yeah. <laughs> yes, for sure. But uh, you're correct, there's also scheduling, and my battery will be properly charged. Uh, before we move on to the actual follow-up, I also have a plug for uh, Swansong. Uh, so if you don't know, uh, Swansong is a video series that I've been working on for the past five years where I play uh, Bandai Wander Swan games in chronological order. Uh, so... There were 69 games in 1999, and by the time you listen to this, the 69th episode, uh, which is tackling the final game released in 1999, will be released. Uh, so if you haven't had the opportunity to watch uh, Swan Song before, now you can watch a whole year's worth of episodes at once if you want. You can go for the full binge experience. Uh, if you've watched the series before and you sort of uh, didn't keep up with it, uh, there's a lot to see now. And uh, if you're a regular viewer, well, uh, thank you for supporting the series. Uh, so uh, I just wanted to plug that just in case uh, people didn't know about it because I hit a big milestone. So next up is going to be the year 2000. I forgot how many games there are, but it's less than 69. Nice. So congrats on those 69 episodes and to 69 more. Yeah, uh, but I don't think I'm going to keep uh, doing batches of 69 uh, because at some point I'm going to run out. There are only 198 games on the Wonder Swan after all. Oh, okay, but uh, it's uh, getting closer to the end. Yeah, uh, so we can get go on to your follow-up. Yes, and the first one is... No, I think my overall follow-up for this week is kind of a mix of a couple of things. Uh, and I think the first item is to say that we uh, met in person uh, yeah. a week ago, more or less. Uh, and it is related to a couple of things, but mainly is we took the opportunity to do a photo walk uh, around Trois-Rivières, which was uh, pretty nice. I really enjoyed the weather and also taking some pictures around and we did walk a lot so that was fun and we got really lucky with the weather because it was supposed to be raining <laughs> yes we did got lucky and i was good because uh, the next day it rained a bit so uh it was perfect timing it also meant that i was able to play with some of yannick's new toys uh that he mentioned in previous episodes so i was able to play with the sony mzr 9000 uh which is uh, 900 uh, Oh, okay. I put um, too much zeros, yeah. I guess, there. But it is a Sony MD recorder, and uh, like we, like you discussed, uh, I wasn't sure with the picture and also with my previous expense of using an MD either recorder or player. I don't really remember, but this model is pretty tiny compared to the memory I have of last time I saw a MD player. 
Um, so it's pretty neat. Again, um, I listened to the music. Uh, it was a, a bit strange, but it was a good trip down memory lane, uh, having the physical MD recorder in my hands and playing mm-hmm. with it and uh, playing with the remote, which I greatly enjoyed too. Uh, kind of reminds me that I wish that more and more the MP3 players, or even like when you listen to music on your phone, that uh, you would have a screen. And I guess that's what the Apple Watch is for these days, is to see the progress of the music music you listen to or things like that but uh i really enjoy that again would i buy one not really but for sure uh i wouldn't be surprised that uh every couple of times when we meet each other and i am able to go to your place i might just ask to ask you to just like bring it out and uh, just just for the fun a memory's sake just play with it for five ten minutes and then give it back to you I also heard that you're planning to get some more uh, MDs, so that might be quite interesting because you have more of a music catalog that you, you we can listen to uh, while using the uh, the player itself. I'm looking into it, yeah. Okay, good. And the other one is I had my also five minutes experience playing with the Playdate. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I'll, I don't think I'll say much more than that because you want to have an episode. Uh, once you've experienced the uh, first seasons of games. Uh, but I think what I'll say is, A, it's tiny. Uh, B, the screen is good. Uh, really good. I'm surprised by the screen, I guess, resolution. Uh, that's the best way I could say it. Uh, and it's pretty cute too. So I was pretty happy that I could get five minutes of my time uh, experiencing the play date. Yeah. Last up on that, um, in... My last episode where we discuss uh, photography, which uh, is episode 180. Oh, crap, I forgot to take note of the episode number. So uh, 181, while I look on our website. Uh, so what are you buying? Which was Yannick asking me <laughs> uh, after I break the silence on my photography journey. What was I buying? And I did say I was buying nothing uh, unless... Um, Curse title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this try this title is a bit uh foreshadowing. But you you might remember, uh our kind listeners, that I was mentioning that I would borrow cameras from more friends, which that has happened. As discussed in the episode, I did return uh, the Fuji X hundred S from Yannick Stad, so from Jean Pierre. And in the meantime I was able to borrow a Nikon D six ten. Yes, a D six ten, which is a full frame Nikon DSR from a friend. But a couple of days after that happened, um your dad sent me a message that uh, that is regarding a familiar camera. So yeah, so in the end, uh, kind of own the Fujifilm X100S now. Uh, your dad was kind of uh, trying to uh, get rid of it in the end. He was not supposed to do that this year. That's what he told me when I brought it back. And then a month later, he sent me a text saying, yeah, I kind of changed my mind. So that was a funny moment. Uh, it was I don't a good even think it was a month later. I think it was seriously like two weeks later. Uh, I think it corrected the text was pretty fast. So I returned it during Easter in April. And so it's around like 14, 15 of April. Uh, and I got it two weeks ago at this point, uh, the camera. So in the end, I was without the camera for a month. But you're correct that for the time for me to uh, figure out, make my mind on whether I should buy it or not. And then to go back to Trois-Vier to to bring like to just go get it from your dad uh, meant that a month had passed 
So yeah, uh, I did use that camera during our photo walk. I still am enjoying this camera. Like I mentioned in the episode, I would, I was supposed to miss it, which that happened and then only happened for a month. So in the end, I'm not missing it because I now own it, which is, uh, pretty funny. Um, so yeah, so I guess we'll have more content about that camera and my photography journey in the months to come. Speaking of buying things, uh, <laughs> let's jump into the main topic. Uh, so as Yannick mentioned in the intro, um, this is a long topic in the making, meaning that, uh, I kind of want to talk about my experience owning an iMac 24 inch, so an iMac Apple Silicon, uh, computer, uh, but I bought it in November. Uh, so today, I want to go back onto my previous personal ownership of Macs and I kind of want to remove all the Macs I own through work because not that I, I don't think it doesn't count, but I think uh, there are um, a great journey and it is to me uh, coming back to the iMac and I won't say more for now, uh, getting to buy this 2021 iMac. Uh, but yeah, so I want to go through that journey. I want to go through about what I think about the iMac, my experience in the past few months, and a general discussion about what do I think about Apple Silicon. Literally, uh, at the moment, uh, I'm, I am aware that we're recording this literally the week before WWDC, <laughs> and there are rumors, and I want to, we don't dwell too much in rumors in this podcast, but, uh, there are rumors that possibly the transition will end, that the two-year transition that was announced two years ago will end with the quote-unquote purpose announcement of the uh, Mac Pro using Apple Silicon. So we shall see. But the idea, I think, is a good excuse for me uh, to talk about my experience with this iMac and also uh, with another device a bit on the side talking about iOS development maybe a bit with uh, the work MacBook Pro so the MacBook Pro 16 inch using the M1 Pro chip and talking about the Apple Silicon. So let's start this by talking about my previous personal ownership of Mac. So first I want to like get the boring tech specs out of the way. So I did buy the iMac 24 inch. I bought it in yellow because the yellow color is great. I would strongly suggest that if you were to buy uh, one of those iMacs that you buy, uh, and if I recall correctly, it's like yellow, orange, and purple that are only available uh, as a web order. All the other colors, so blue, the green, bluish, uh, I'm a big into green usually, but when I saw it in the Apple Store a couple of months ago, it didn't really look well. Uh, the red and the silver are all available and in your local Apple Store. So if you look at the stocks that your local Apple Store has and using the the good, better, best that you would see on the website, uh, the, the first... For color, the first last, uh, four last colors that I mentioned, uh, blue, green, red, and silver shall be available. So if you want to buy one of those configs in those colors, you should just go to the Apple store and then get one for sure if they have in stock. But if you want orange, purple, and you should look at pictures of a purple. I don't know if Yannick, you were able to go to, uh, Best Buy or 
Yeah, I would say Best Buy nope. because I don't think you went in a city with uh, a Nabble store in the recent months. Uh, so you haven't experienced those computers like in real life. No. Since the introduction. Okay. So uh, as with recent Apple devices, it's important with the colors that you experience them in life. I think before uh, deciding, finally deciding in your color, uh, the color you want to have because um, the I'll call it the the tin, the chosen tin per each color varies a lot from the images versus when you get the device uh, in real life. So I don't know what Apple is doing with their photography these days. Uh, we had the same issue when we were talking about the previous iPad Air generation with the blue that looks silver on their most, like, most common lighting, uh, even if it was called blue. Um, and even the one that I personally own, which is the green model, still looks sometimes silverish. Uh, it's, it's more, you get more, you, you, of this green color, uh, but things like that. So I think overall for those devices, you got to experience them in person. Uh, and I recall that even if some colors are not available to get from the stocks in the Apple store, you can see all the models. Oh, that's uh, good. Yeah, yeah. So we saw, like I saw in person the yellow before I decided to, to buy it. And again, um, not saying that we do have a lot of yellow things in our living room where this computer is sitting, uh, but we do have a lot of like accented elements in our living room that is yellow, so it perfectly fits with the decor we have, even if uh, that's kind of not the goal. But we that tone, but but that Tony and I really enjoy uh, the yellow model. Uh, I would even say that the uh, purple one is also pretty neat. Uh, but again, uh, depending of where this computer is, uh, purple might be a bit too, uh, not bright, but maybe too in your face, depending of the decor you want to have with this computer. Regarding the config, uh, it is the first time ever that I buy a top of the line a Mac for myself. Um, well, well, I'll talk about the tech spec of my previous personal computers, but uh, again, with the M1 uh, chip, I decided to go with the 16 gigs of RAM. Uh, of course, by being the <laughs> best configuration, it's the, the eight CPU cores, eight GPU core, uh, version of the N1, M1 chip. And the only thing I would say I didn't max out was the, uh, SSD storage, but I did, con- I did buy a one terabyte model. And I think, let me click on the button here. Uh, the, Best configuration go uh, comes comes with eight gigs of RAM and five twelve of SSD, but you can max it out at two terabytes uh, for the iMac uh, compared to other uh, other Macs where you can go four terabytes or even eight terabytes. So it's nearly maxed out, uh, and it's a big change for me because I never also own uh, an iMac or a Mac computer with that much ssd storage uh and i'm not saying it's nearly full but it's getting there uh wow there yeah yeah it's it's again it is a shared computer and we'll, we'll talk about more than that so <laughs> like with my photo library i have a couple of games on it more on that later plus uh, some of the games tony as installed from my previous inst- uh, from the previous laptop like after the migration like a couple of things bl- start to blew up on this device i think we're like i'm exaggerating a bit i think we're maybe halfway there that sounds more reasonable yeah i have about 300 gigs left on my mac mini right now out of a terabyte yeah 
Mm-hmm. I think that sounds about right for myself too. I forgot to check, but it's not really important. But it it is to me still, it was a great upgrade and also meant that I can finally have a Mac. I can have back my full like downloaded iPhoto library or iCloud yeah. photo library back on a device for a long while i was able to do that on my phone but uh in the pa- recent few years i f- found out that some gopro st- uh, footage was just on an hard drive uh, and not stored in icloud and i just kind of put it in without really trimming it or doing a, a montage so that kind of added maybe 50 60 gig which meant that my photo library is like 200 gigs now so on my 256 iphone is a bit too big or just like just barely there so uh a mac is needed or a bigger ios device but i'm not going willing to go over that limit on ios devices uh so mac was the route to do that so that now that the tech spec is out of the way i want to talk about what did this imac replaced and Officially, it did only replace a used MacBook Pro Retina 15-inch. And I say that because it is the first year of that unibody MacBook Pro Retina device from 2012. And at that time, my when I bought this device, my MacBook Air uh, 13-inch from 2011 was kind of... Not decommissioned, but nearly there. I knew it as an ex- it had an expanding battery, and like it had to go more or less. And the iMac 2008, which is my first iMac I ever personally owned, uh, and I think it's the second iMac my family had, um, because I think a year before I bought this one, my my dad bought a white MacBook. So, uh, so yeah, so I have a long personal story of owning one iMac, but having an iMac in my life for more or less 10 years. Uh, and even during my first few years at Lightspeed, this was the only personal computer I had. And it was not really, really getting used, uh, too much. But in the more, like, let's say, more recent two, three year, three, four years, uh, Having an, a computer dedicated to me that is for personal stuff was getting more uh, more needed than it used to be. And also, Tony was uh, doing way more stuff than he did in the past uh, with a Mac computer, mainly because he went back to school uh, two years ago. So it meant that the most of my stuff... So the MacBook Air was kaput. Uh, the iMac, I think... I, no, I know I swapped this SSD, but I think his SSD was slowly but surely uh, go like not dying, but deteriorating. Going, yeah, going there, deteriorating. Like I think I swapped the R drive in it in 2011, so it's like it was the first like not the first generation, but the first kind of like batch of SSDs where like it was starting to get fully mainstream where you can get them for cheap. I think it was like 260 gigs. Uh, so it was pretty small. Uh, but yeah, it's, it started to get old and long in the tooth, this poor iMac, but I still love it dearly. Um, and I kind of have a funny uh, story about those two computers uh, because a year ago, more or less, uh, in April of last year, I did the spring cleaning and I went to the Apple store to more or less assume that I would get them recycled. Um, 
But uh, I was surprised to figure out that the MacBook Air, even if it was a 2011, so it was literally 10 years old at that point, was worth $100. Wow. Uh, yeah, I was greatly surprised. Like uh, I think I returned the iMac. Yeah, the iMac, the MacBook Air, and an old iPod Touch. Rip iPod Touches. Um, and then for sure I was not expecting to get any credits from the iMac nor from the iPod Touch. But I was gladly surprised that I got $100 for the MacBook Air. So I was like, yes, I have $100. Uh, like, take it and I'll get the $100. And it is funny because they were saying there was a firmware password on it. And I recall, or I didn't recall, I put a firmware password on it. So it was kind of funny because they wanted to confirm that I like, it was empty and things like that. And then in the end, after me throwing a couple of passwords, the guy was like, okay, we don't care. Like, here's your hundred dollars, like your Apple uh, Apple Store gift card, hundred dollars. Like, we'll figure it out. Even if you look at the fine prints, uh, you should really remove the the firmware password to really get your credit. If not, they're considering it uh, a recycling. But again, in that generation, they can figure a way to uh, remove the password because it was not as secure as devices are today. But yeah, uh, so it, it was the uh, easiest way to make money with an old uh, MacBook Air that needed a new battery. Uh, it was not really broken, but again, the new battery meant that the case, the bottom case was kind of uh, bent a bit and lost a lot of screws. And uh, Tony used it a, little, uh, a lot too, so uh, it was getting ping- dinged up pretty well. So uh, it meant that at that time when I got, like last fall when I got a Mac, we only had one Mac to transfer data from. And because I never really moved all my data from one computer to the other, um, like the iMac, yes, I had backups and things like that. The MacBook here was always kind of my second computer. So it had its own set of data. And then throughout the years, it got merged into some uh, hard drives and then into the macbook pro retina but again like the for the past 10 years what is utterly important to me data wise is my photo library uh i didn't really do too much and again i record this podcast on mac uh, but again a lot of the things that are needed for this is apple notes a couple of software to record and then all the rest is backed up also in a cloud service so it meant that while I had a couple of Macs personally throughout the years, I never ever used Migration Assistant to move data from one Mac to the other. Even at work, I don't really use uh, Migration Assistant. So I re- even if I... I'd say I'll regret it in the end and you'll see why. Um, I really wanted to use Migration Assistant because I, A, I heard good things about it and B... Uh, I was trying to find a reason to use it because I never really used it. So, um, we went from the MacBook Pro via Thunderbolt 2 to the iMac using Thunderbolt 3 slash USB-C. Um, luckily for me, at that time, I had from work a Thunderbolt 2 to 3 adapter because I had a USB-C MacBook Pro. Uh, not the Apple Silicon one, but I just the last generation of the Intel ones. So it meant that I could use one of the Thunderbolt 2 to Thunderbolt 2 cable I had lying around to connect them. 
And uh, the funny story is my first experience with Migration Assistant is a po- is a bad one because I connected both computers, started Migration Assistant, and then nothing would work. Uh, and again, uh, nothing that the win the typical Windows solution wouldn't fix. AKA, I had to reboot, if I recall correctly, only the MacBook Pro, um, and then it was able to be seen, and the Migration Assistant would start. Uh, I want to read a couple of details about a screenshot I took from that time. I had three options to do the peer-to-peer connection from both devices. The first one was, again, uh, Thunderbolt. The other one was peer-to-peer, I guess, LAN or Wi-Fi, because there's also the third one, which is Wi-Fi. So the peer-to-peer one was not clear to me, but let's compare the speed. So Wi-Fi... Uh, Apple says it would be able to go as fast as 3 megabytes per second. Peer-to-peer was at 15, so it's a, it's a good yeah. improvement, 5x. Thunderbolt, seven and 726 megabytes per second. Nice. So you can imagine which one I took, and I think transferring the 260... The, the SSD was not full on the laptop, but was really close to full. I think it was maybe at 200 gigs. Uh, took about 30 minutes because um, I had a couple of screenshots of the process of the transferring and it shows moments where it was like capping at 200 megabytes per second. Uh, and then it was saying like, oh, around 25 minutes remaining. So one, once the both computer could see each other, which was, it was my main issue. It was the main issue I ran into is the first time I connect both computers, I launched migration assistant in both of them and they were not able to see each other. Again, there was a big delta of OSs between those two. Uh, the 2012 MacBook Pro is running Catalina. I think so. I mean, I'm using it right now. So uh, yes, it's uh, using Catalina and again, the uh the new iMac was using wait at which OS are we right now uh Monterey Big. Monterey thank you wow okay I'm really bad tonight with names but yeah so there was a big delta of OS version and I think that's kind of possibly what happened so again like a demon was not running on the laptop or something like that nothing that the reboot couldn't fix it's interesting that you say you've always heard good things about uh migration assistant because like i mean it tracks because i've also mostly heard good things about uh migration assistant until m1 came out and then everybody had weird experiences with their first m1 max for some reason um yeah that's kind of true uh again i, I on the the blog post I read of and the, the data I've seen is some people they're like the same experience that they had on Intel to Intel transitions uh, from devices were able to experience the same thing with a migration system and I've seen some people are more working and again that's what I've done I did from a, like a pretty old Intel laptop to uh, the M1 iMac and then again first first attempt failed reboot the device and it worked. The other point that I said that is left me a bit is it I did not fully regret doing it because it was nice. I really enjoyed that and then not moving all the settings is also fun. But uh I had that laptop for maybe f- two years under my own ownership. For sure it was like clean install when my friend sold it to me. Uh but it did accumulate a couple of like cruft. Uh, I know uh, 
not by accident, but Tony decided to install the printer drivers for our printer. Oh, no. And, yeah, and I was like, oh, no, why have you done this? But it meant that because those got migrated, my saving grace was they were not Apple Silicon compatible. Nice. <laughs> so I would get the, they, they would run through Rosetta, but I went, I anally went through all the processes running on this newly migrated iMac and looked at all of the ones that were not running with the uh running natively and start to literally remove that and it meant that i remember having to uninstall the hp printer drivers and printer software from a newly like from a new computer was not the best experience because i had to spelunk into like the launch agents and things like that to remove that craft and to more or less clean up a new computer but yes it came from the migration so it was not a, a big hurdle, meaning that I would have just like erased the iMac and start from scratch. Start from scratch, uh, but yeah, I kind of regret uh, this a bit. And in the end, I did, it does mean that uh, I had to do a bit of cleanup. Where, alike, when I would need to do two or three years, and I'm saying Max need that frequently. But you realize that you've installed a lot of software, and I think it's a good. A com- personal computer hygiene to go through your launch services, go through your uh, slash application folder uh, or directory and see if there's apps you don't use. So it was that level of effort, not that hard. But again, uh, it uh, made me realize that there was a couple of uh, demons and like text extensions that, that were running on my laptop that I kind of forgot about. So it, it was good on that. Okay, now that the transverse process is done, I can use the computer. And using the computer, like, it's a modern Mac and it's a personal computer. So before we go about what do I do with this iMac for my personal needs, I want to talk about its best, not best achievements, but its best qualities. And it is that it is a redesigned iMac and there's a lot of things that has changed. And the first thing, we already discussed it, is the colors. But the important part about the colors meant that with certain special Macs from the past, <clears throat> the Mac Pro, with the iMac, you get also special peripherals. Which meant that I could not not check the box to get all the peripherals because for sure I wanted the keyboard to be in yellow. I wanted the uh, magic mouse to be in yellow and I wanted the magic trackpad to be in yellow because guess what? You cannot get those peripherals. So uh, I'm not a big Mac collector, but the somewhat small Mac collector in me was like, I cannot not buy those peripherals. I really need to have them uh, just for the sake of having the full collection and the full suite of devices. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was a big trackpad users, but in the past five or six years, I've been more using the um, the Magic Mouse. I, I personally feel in the end that the trackpad, like I can use a trackpad totally fine when I code while using the laptop in laptop mode. Uh, but I kind of feel that, especially with the big screen like my Thunderbolt display, uh, you do end up moving your end a lot over the, the, the trackpad. 
uh, to move your cursor around. I feel that it's a bit more fluid for me personally to use a mouse to do a lot of like screen to screen movement, uh, mouse movements than using a trackpad. But again, that's personal preference. One thing that I greatly enjoy with the new peripherals, I haven't to that moment, till that moment, excuse me, experienced uh, a the funly re- rechargeable uh, Apple uh, Magic Mouse, uh, <laughs> where you harpoon it with the the Lightning port in its back. But uh, ignoring that funny design, I haven't experienced also the wider trackpads because if you buy this external trackpad, you now get more or less a similar size trackpad as when you get on um, on the new laptops. And the additional space is really a welcome change. That is for sure. Speaking of peripherals, it also meant that it was my first time using a device with Touch ID, a uh, Mac with Touch ID, not a device with Touch ID. Um, and I think overall, I have mixed feeling with Touch ID on the Mac. Uh, uh, in the past two years, I've been owning, I've been having work provided laptops that do have Touch ID, but my personal, my work setup meant, means that I like to only have one big screen, so most of the time, the laptop is in clamshell mode when it's connected to a screen. So I do do lose this functionality. But when I use it as a laptop, whether I'm traveling, like I'm, and when I mean by traveling is going to see my family and I have to, or I decide to go a day early and I need to work the next day, uh, so it's not that big traveling or. Uh, the one of the rare moments in the past month where I went to the office and I don't have a display at the office anymore. Uh, like I have those opportunities where I can use touch ID and I think it's pretty, pretty neat. Uh, in conjunction with Apple's key, like password manager or even one password, like this unlocks the greatness that is touch ID because it's a work laptop. I don't really authorize purchases too much with touch ID. Uh, because if I were to download apps, it will be free. So it's mainly just, uh, it downloads because I, the one time I checked the checkbox to say download all the time. Uh, but I did authorize a couple of purchases through the iMac, uh, with it. The iMac has one special uh, specificity that I have, I haven't experienced with Touch ID in the previous Macs, which meant that it creates a lot of mixed feelings. And it is that it's a shared computer. So Tony and I have both sessions and sometimes both sessions logged in and opened while the computer is running. And we did have experience, uh, experience moments where Touch ID stopped working for one, for, for either him. <laughs> Sadly for him, it's mainly for him, not for me. <laughs> <laughs> but I like, again, I didn't take much attention to the fact whether I was whether whether I was the first one to log in on this iMac or was I because I was the last one to use it but in all those moments where touch ID stops working for one user so the best example I can give you is you are on the lock screen or you leave your session and then the computer locks uh, so when you wake it up it assumes that you might be back the same user um, so let's say it was my session that was locked. So Tony would click switch user and then try to just tap his finger to touch ID. Nothing would happen. And it would say like, it would say 
you can use touch id it, it wouldn't even detect a figure it was not it was not even a bad read uh and again you might have heard that since the introduction of touch id on the mac uh that a lot of people that have been using a shared computer so, so two people with two sessions uh both of them have touch id shared at some point something in the systems uh is now no longer responsive and to fix it, you more or less have to reboot the computer. So it means that I cannot give a full like raving review for Touch ID on the Mac, mainly because this computer needs to be a family computer. And I think that we should be both able to have rock solid experience with Touch ID because Touch ID is so nice on the Mac, especially with all the times we have to enter, enter password and things alike so i wish that that would get fixed again touch id on the mac is not new for apple silicon uh, apple silicon Macs didn't seem to have improved on that that was also present from a lot of reports if you listen to a lot of uh different tech podcasters uh, that have owned uh, touch id max in the past they would have mentioned this especially for a more family computer which it's a, it, I think for Intel devices, it was a bit rarer because it meant it's a laptop that is a family device. Uh, I think the best example I can give you is Mark Arment, as mentioned that one of his laptop, even the Intel one, ran into this issue. But now that Touch ID is available on all Apple Silicon desktops, like you can buy the keyboard with Touch ID and use it with a Mac Mini. Like, if you don't, if you buy the cheapest iMac, yes, you don't get the keyboard with Touch ID, but if you buy the, starting the better configuration, the middle configuration, you get the keyboard with Touch ID. And with an iMac, I think these days, people that would buy an iMac is to do what I've done, is put it in the living room. It's a shared computer. Uh, there, I'm sure there are multiple people, maybe even listening to this, saying like, "Oh, I have an iMac, and I'm I'm only a user of one." Yes, that's fair. But the use cases for desktop Macs being shared devices is more prevalent than with laptops. Not negating that it could also happen to laptops. So, to me, that would be my kind of first main disappointment with this iMac. Uh, I've heard great things about Touch ID. It improved the life on iOS devices. And I assumed that we would get that too. And we do. It's just that it's unreliability sometimes for a bit for me, but mainly for Tony, meant that it, it its track record gets a ding. Last point on the design slash hardware section. Um... It is my first time experiencing a retina screen bigger than 15 or 16 inch because mm. I never, like I still am talking through you in front of my work screen, which is the, I was about to say beloved, but I'm not sure if at this point they're beloved anymore, but <laughs> the Apple Thunderbolt uh, 20, 27 inch displays. Uh, never really got an LG monitor, so and thank I think God. That's, yeah, maybe that's better for me. Uh, I guess maybe I could be tempted by uh, 
Apple Studio Display. Yeah, I, I was blinking on the name for a sec. Uh, but again, with the iMac, yes, you don't get a 27-inch size screen, but it is bigger than what uh, it used to be because my 28th, 2008, excuse me, iMac was a 20 inch. So I didn't, like, I never personally experienced a 27 inch iMac since they introduced those sizes. But again, I live for the past nine years, eight to nine years at work with the 27 inch device. Uh, and while I like to get a retina desktop, uh, I kind of miss the three inches. I, I, I won't lie. Uh, I don't do too much stuff like too much, like a lot of apps open at the same time. But uh, that happens, uh, that was happening recently when I was working on the photo blog that I promoted. So I had kind of Git open, I have my photo apps open, I had a couple of text editor open. And it sounds weird to say, but it was getting crammed faster than when I would go all in on uh, my work, when I'm doing dev work for work. and then I have like a couple of Xcode windows open with simulators or text editor on the same uh, 3000 Safari tabs open and things like that. So for a personal device where I don't expect to spend like eight, 10 hours in front of it, the size is fine. But for sure, if it was something I would need to do more development work day in, day out, I really enjoyed the extra space that 27 inch or even 30 inch offers. But Having Retina is a breeze. Like, I really enjoy it. I've installed Arial, like, since Arial's launch, which is the, uh, a, a, a Mac, a Mac screensaver plugin to bring, plugin to bring the Apple TV, uh, wallpaper screensavers to your Macintosh device. And those are amazing, even on a Retina device that can, it, it doesn't do Oh, I forgot. No, it doesn't do HDR, but it does P3 colors. So that's pretty neat. On top of that, uh, following a, a recommendation from Yannick to enjoy my <laughs> pictures even more, especially for a computer in my living room, I recently switched to my favorites album from pictures. So it's really fun. And again, we've talked, like, I've talked in great lengths throughout the pad, throughout this podcast about how the written screen is amazing on phones. To get it blown up to 24 inch to 27 inch is amazing. So, uh, I understand why the, uh, this iMac is a bit smaller. But again, if we now know, no, now knowing the fact that the 27 inch iMac is discontinued and is currently not in plans to be brought up as an Apple Silicon device, uh, yeah, I kind of wish that there was a 27 inch option. And now we know that this option is the $2,000 display. Okay, so that concludes design and hardware. And I want to, before I go into the conclusion, I want to discuss what I do with this this computer. Because again, you could say that the uh, MacBook Pro Retina is good enough for my needs, but again, it was getting long in the tooth, even if it was, uh, it was really like I bought it to extend, knowing that at that time that I get it, like Apple Silicon was rumored and things like that. I didn't really want to buy. And now that I had something, why did I buy the iMac and not wait for the more pro 
desktop devices. And I think it, it is mainly because of what I do with it. I really enjoy to, uh, to do personal things. So web browsing, uh, some, I still feel to this day that I'm, I'm more productive when I want to do things on the Mac compared to, yeah, for sure on the iPhone because small device, but even on the iPad, I, I can, I can do like a, like finances. I can do a lot of like word processing or writing documents and things like that on the iPad, but I realize that when there, when I need to have more than one document open or one thing open at a time which happens a lot even in the personal task i have to do i feel more comfortable on the mac than doing that on ios and i don't want to dwell too much on that but it is more to say that i still do a lot of quote-unquote multitasking on my personal computing tasks uh, that feel more at home for me on the mac so you won't be surprised to hear that the Mac is used to do photo management. Uh, <laughs> it's utterly important to have my photo library on the Mac. That's so funny because I don't do that at all. I only do it on the iPad. Yeah. So it's important to be there. But again, I've mentioned to you, and I think we've discussed that, not in the recent episodes, but in the more the older photography episode and especially photo management episode that if I have an option where like if I want to if you want I want to modify my photo management workflows it's going to be quite important for me that they also work on iOS and especially on the iPad so and again these days it's mainly I use photos that happen that's it yeah Uh, but I agree with you since you introduced me or you reminded me that Gemini exists. I have done more photo management. I do also a lot of importing on the iPad. Mm-hmm. But like if I'm in the living room and my iPad is in another room, sometimes I just don't go get it. And I um I will just use the computer. And sometimes like that's my activity. Like I'm just like I'm winding down from work in front of a, of a different computer, and I know that sounds mm-hmm. silly to say it this way, but that's true. Uh, and like I'm in front of the iMac, I'll do it there. It's available there. That's true. Uh, I think also for me personally, and I don't want to make this another f- big photography tangent. Uh, I use Pixelmator Photo, which isn't available on the Mac, oh. to do all of my editing. So I sort of have to do my management on the iPad if I want it to flow nicely into Pixelmator Photo. Uh, so, yeah. Wait. Oh, no, yeah, it's only Pro. I thought Photo was also available, but no, on the no. Mac, they only have Pro. Yeah. That's true. That's true. That's true. But again, you, you, you get a lot of the functionality of uh, Pixelmator Photo in, in the Pro version, but I it's see just it's presented like Photoshop, and I don't want to use an app that's like Photoshop. I want to use an app that's like Pixelmator Photo. <laughs> I right no for sure. One thing though, okay, I'm doing a tangent on on tangent about uh, photo management, but I think it is still clear if you both use Photos app on iOS and even the iPad version, and you use the Mac version, there are still relics of iPhoto, yeah, in the Mac version that are not. Or if they are available, I still sometimes struggle to find them in the iOS yeah, yeah, yeah. version. But 
my understanding if if they are they're buried somewhere that i don't know or they're not available so they're still not a hundred like when they have to merge everything into follows that app and it's like it runs everywhere it's maybe now 98 percent true or like 95 percent true but it's not a hundred percent true so and or the way it is presented is more reminiscent of i photos and aperture rip aperture uh that i'm used to that there and it's less time for me to find what I need to find uh, than on iOS. I think I've lost count of how many times we've mourned Aperture and Flickr in the last few weeks, but yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I guess we can... I'll tease it, but I installed I installed uh, Lightroom Cloud on my iPad. Oh dear. Yes. Uh, and I think it's not that bad to be honest yes 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 but i didn't put in too much pictures in it yet so we shall see and the free version is only for jpegs it doesn't do raw editing so we shall see if i pay for it too okay we we close this topic enough photo uh yes and no so the other thing that is more recent to writing photos is uh relating to related to some of the nice like small library project that Yannick showed me to do a photo blog the main downsides of them or the one I chose is that it's pretty not computer intensive but computer intensive meaning that you need a terminal you need a like a more computer like desktop environment for it to work and again I think I could move a lot of it on the server that is hosting it uh, but I kind of didn't do that. So it's really dependent on the setup I have on the iMac. So every time I want to post on the photo blog, uh, which I'm trying to stay up to date, uh, I have to be at home in front of my iMac. Um, so I'm doing a lot of my photo blog. You could probably port the shell script to a shortcut if you tried hard enough. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't try hard enough. And, oh. Or I'm not willing to try uh, hard enough. Okay, uh, okay. No, but again, to open another tangent, my thinking was say I could move a lot of that to the server. Yeah. And then uh, the main issue is I think it's the the plugin that it uses to resize the picture. Image magic, is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Though I think so, it might be available because it's frequently used from PHP and nearly free speech right. does a bunch of PHP stuff. Again, the second I thought, I have to figure out if the distro I use where I'm hosted needs to have image. I forgot the rest of the name, but this software, uh, my brain went, it is a personal project, not work. And then I close that topic and says, for the next few weeks, I'll just use the iMac for that. Yeah. Uh, the other one that is a big spoiler and then again we're six months early so i can talk about it a bit the oh. other big topic that <laughs> I, I just realized the, what you're talking about yes you have realized uh the other big time spender that i've done on the imac is gaming and which is weird because there are no games on the mac <laughs> except the one i'm playing a lot with my brother which is farming simulator 2022 oh my god uh yeah uh my brother introduced me to that game last fall uh and funnily enough the iMac came in at that moment in my life and I had to make the decision do I get it on the Mac or do I get it on the PS4 
And with some of the issues that my brother has with this game, uh, on his space PS4, like he, uh, like I have, I'm pretty happy that I took the Mac version, even if the best version of this game is the Windows version. Uh, but yeah, so it does mean that I game on the, on the Mac. And when I say I game, I mainly mean this exact game because it works on the Mac. But it does mean that I have Steam installed on my Mac. Oh, no. uh, and it was, I would, I won't lie. It was not something I was expecting to do in 2021, 2022, but I did. Uh, did Steam update for Apple Silicon? I thought they were still on Rosetta. I think the game itself and Steam is possibly the last kind of Intel apps yeah. that I'm running on this device. But again, I'm not. Like, I could get the best graphics card in the PC to run this at, like, 4K, like, put the, the, the display settings to I or IMAX, I don't know what they use. Ultra. Uh, adjective, yeah, whatever. And then enjoy it. But, you know what? I put it at the, like, I think I run it in retina mode. And I put it at, me wow. I think it's at median. And it works fine. So I'm like... That's pretty good. A lot of games on the Mac don't actually do very well if you try to run in the 2x resolution. Uh, okay, no, wait a sec. Because I did a lot of things. I think now I run scale, though. Oh, okay. Yeah, now, but I recall I tried it and it worked. But I think it was a bit sloppy. Yeah. So I think now I'm running at... Maybe like 3,000 by 2,000. I forgot the exact resolution, but something scaled. Uh, but still, I overall, my, my general review of the iMac 24 uh, as a gaming PC is it works for the game I want to play. So that's great. Doesn't What settings does it run at? I don't care. It just works. It's like uh, me and my like dinky little gaming PC to run Blaze Blue, which is basically running on a ten-year-old engine. It's like, well, it runs on integrated graphics. The specs suck for a gaming PC, but it runs exactly the one game I need it to run, so it doesn't matter. You're totally right. We the same thing can be said about my ThinkPad running uh, Age of Empires yeah. Two. The main downside, though, is I would like to get the the 4K pack, like asset pack, uh, but. I'm not willing to get a new la- a PC laptop just for that. Uh, and I'm not willing to run whatever software to make that game work on the Apple Silicon Mac. Hmm. Okay, no, I'm, I'm retracting this sentence. Uh-huh. I was lazy and didn't do it. But now, I'm th- now that I've said that I wouldn't do it, uh, kind of like, hmm, maybe I should. Uh, to kind of, uh, augment my gaming story but yeah i don't want to talk about too much uh gaming uh, i won't talk about uh using the ps4 controller for gaming i will keep that for our game of the year episode but i've done that uh the main thing i'll say about this though is um i was a bit surprised and then as an ios dev i was not in the end but at first i was a bit surprised that if i were to use the ps4 controller over bluetooth uh, but with mouse and keyboard and trackpad connected at the same time, plus the controller, uh, something had to give. So it meant that keyboard and mouse performance went like, like degraded heavily until I decided to not use Bluetooth for the PS4 controller, which meant that I use the, like I use a micro USB to USB A cable, um, uh, to play so usually i and it's funny because i 
never used the black controller that came with my PS4 because I bought a white one when I bought my PS4 years ago. So my black PS4 controller is now my more or less game gaming Mac controller. Uh, so it's always next to the iMac with a USB, a micro USB to USB A cable. Uh, so that's the main, I would say, downside is uh, possibly Bluetooth performance on the uh, iMac uh, Apple Silicon is reminiscent of iOS devices. And when you say, why should I say that? It's because usually on iOS devices, if you have two or three Bluetooth, uh, no, three Bluetooth devices, you're more or less at the limit of Bluetooth connection for all iOS devices. Ask me how I know. I do that at work, <laughs> connecting fucking Bluetooth devices to iPads. And if you go uh, above three, one gets disconnected. Even if it's not documented anywhere. It's funny when we have support calls about this. Like, yeah, trust us, trust us. I know Apple has no documentation for this, but trust us. Like, we've been working on that for the last nine, nine years. When you connect a fourth one, something goes away. Uh, but yeah, so it does mean that in the end on the iMac, I, I do things, I manage documents, I manage things a bit like what I do at work. I haven't done that much iOS development. I have Xcode installed because we're talking about me here. So Xcode is installed, but I think it's an old Xcode 13 install I have there. I do have a couple of my, not side projects, but I do have a source folder uh, that this one came from the iMac went from the Mac to the MacBook Air, got installed into the Pro the, the MacBook Pro and now ended up on the twin the ended up on the iMac. I think I like for example I have my uh my uh jailbreak tweak still around somewhere there uh, and things like that. And again, um the way I do the photo blog is also based on a Git repo. So I do have some development tools but not that much. So it means in, in general that it is a great tool for the limited computing needs I have as somebody that spends time in front of computers daily. Uh, like I realize that a lot of the things I do is either web navigation or, um, or photo management <laughs> or gaming, which is a bit surprising. Uh, and last up regarding what I do on the iMac, I had a couple of, uh, iPad app install. I think the main one I have is Overcast because I think that's the main one that uh, I also have on my phone that is available that the developer left the checkbox checked. So it meant that uh, I have that. Do I have anything else? I don't think I have that much more than that. Uh, and again, uh, for that experience, it's really based on the Overcast podcast client experience. It's pretty neat again. Um I kind of wish there was a real, I don't want to say native, but the real like optimized overcast client. But if that's the only solution I have, like it is good enough. And I am also running it on my work laptop. So I can like just use the display speakers uh, to listen to music or to listen to podcasts or same thing on the iMac is sometimes when I was it happens a bit more rarely these days when I play uh, Farming Simulator. Usually when I play, I'm on the phone with my brother because we're playing on the same farm. But there was moments where I was playing on my own farm, so I would like to listen to podcasts. Uh, and that's a good game where I don't care about the background music. There's not that much music, but the soundtrack of the game or the, the sound effects of the game. Like I can have something else while I spend three hours 
tending to my farm uh, on that. Okay, uh, I kind of realized I forgot to leave you a space for questions or things like that. So before I jump in my conclusion, uh, do you have any questions or comments about uh, the AMAC itself? Well, I think it's interesting that you mentioned like, oh, well, you know, I didn't need that much of a computer because my needs are fairly modest and all that stuff. And like, we seem to have collectively collectively forgotten that when the M1 was first released, the base model MacBook Air could outperform literally all Intel Mac configurations that were sold under 3500 US dollars. <laughs> and it's like, you've That's got true. a pretty damn good machine for most things <laughs> right there it, and like uh we've gotten better max sense of course and like right the power is absolutely ridiculous uh in the better max that we've gotten but it was still better than literally almost every intel mac unless you were big money bucks uh so i don't think it's necessarily a bad choice and it, i think it's actually like We've talked a few times on the podcast about like sort of these weird moments in Apple history where the amount you spend on a Mac gives you disproportionate amount of value. And even though Macs are expensive, like you you almost can't buy better than that at any price or at any reasonable price. And like M1 really started doing that for me where it's like you have to have a really good reason to buy not a Mac computer right now. Uh, you basically have to be tied to Windows. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, just in terms of performance per dollar spent, you can't really do any better than a Mac at any price point. Damn. Oh, was that your uh, conclusion? <laughs> that's it for tonight. <laughs> no, no. Uh, yes and no. So I, I think you're hitting on a good point is... It is funny how this iMac, and again, uh, last thing I realized I didn't mention, I'll, I'll come back to your statement, but, uh, on the less so positive side though, I forgot to mention when we were talking about designing hardware that I did experience some of the random, like, not kernel panic, but crashes of your Mac. Uh, last me again, that's, that's why it's funny, uh, while preparing for this episode this week, I was like, hey, what? What did you run into issues, Tony, with the iMac? I know you like it too. Uh, you're pretty happy about it, but like, is there anything except the Touch ID issues that you run into, or did it, did it happen more recently? Because for me, it did not. But then it was like, yeah, last weekend it crashed and had to be rebooted, or it, no, it froze, and it was like the mouse didn't do anything, the screen didn't do anything. I really had to do like long press power button until it came back. So. The kind of weirdness a bit of Apple Silicon first gen is present in this device. I would think that's my main, main issue with this laptop, uh, with this device, excuse me. Uh, touch ID again, it is not an Apple Silicon specific issues, but yes, this has been like, I don't have the rock solid performance that I did have with in the laptops of the recent years, like for me to have a kernel panic or even just the West crash through a reboot has happened even on my work laptop uh, that is Apple Silicon it's an M1 Pro that I, it, it is frequent enough not to say something is wrong with my laptop, but frequent enough to say, huh, this is strange. Uh, and again, on the iMac, I think it has been maybe since the fall, maybe two or three times uh 
if I can recall all of them correctly. Um, so that I think that would be my main downside to like the first gen of Apple Silicon Valley. It seems that I'll, I'll call it this way. Uh, like I don't say reliability, but uptime reliability seems to be a bit down compared to what you might be used with Intel Max. But I think that's the main downside. And for a computer that's more personal, like I don't mind if it crashes once every blue moon. Uh, but for a more laptop, if I wake it up the next day and it's like, oh, we rebooted your laptop because I encountered a problem. And it happens maybe once or twice every couple of weeks. It's kind of like not great. Mm-hmm. So to come back, a small tangent because I really skipped that part of my notes. But to come back to what you were saying about the value of Apple Silicon. It reminded me when we did our list of best Mac devices yeah. from a couple of years ago, and we were raging and raving about both our MacBook Airs because I think this iMac, this iMac is giving me the same feeling that I had with this MacBook Air. I look at the specs, like I forgot which one I was able to find my original receipt because again, it's in the recycling bin, this, this <laughs> laptop. So I bought the 13-inch model the base configuration. So the Core i5, 1.7 gigahertz with 4 gigs of RAM because that's what it had. No option to upgrade it, and that's it. But I used this computer to get my bachelor's degree. And it was running VMs on Windows and things like that because yeah. that's what I had to do. And it was a thin-ass laptop. This iMac, yes, it's maxed out. Uh, 16 gigs of RAM is not what I would wish if it was a programmer's computer. Yeah. It's plenty enough for, I think, the type of photo management and the photo editing, <coughs> no photo editing, aka that I do. <laughs> and I also think Apple Silicon is better positioned to actually take full advantage of it, whereas you would get less mileage out of it on Intel. Agreed. Uh, but the main reason I did it is... Because I would, ignoring what you just said, I think it would have been crazy in 2021 to buy 8 gigs of RAM computer, yeah, even yeah. if Mac is better at RAM management and things like that. Uh, that's a bit crazy to me. So the main reason I, I did it is not for performance, I did it for longevity. Because I'm saying like, in yeah. five years, like, I expect this computer to still be around me in, and I might regret saying this, in... 2031 yes in 10 years like that's literally what happened with my last iMac it was in my last my life for 12 years no 13 yes 13 nearly 13 because I bought it in August 20, 2008 yes for a long period it was in a box don't get me wrong but it was mainly used for a bunch like 10 years for a decade it was used and yes a bunch of I the did, podcast has been recorded on that computer Actually, you're correct. A bunch of the podcast has been recorded on it, uh, and I'm still recording on 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 the uh, 2012 uh, MacBook Pro right now because it's simpler to swap laptop than record in the living room yeah. on the iMac. So the iMac sadly didn't uh, record any podcasts uh, to this point. Um, but yeah, is I expect this computer to be. It sounds bad, but good enough for the next five years for sure, maybe ten. And that's the reason why it's maxed out is because A, the jump we get in performance of Apple Silicon, like it was a done deal. It's like, we need a personal computer for the family. I don't want to wait for what the, my, like some of my friends and colleagues, they were like, why don't you wait for the bigger screen? And I'm like, 
yes, I would like to have a bigger screen. Is it really important as a personal computer? A little bit for photo management, but for the rest, not really. So I got what I got. And I don't regret it at all. Like, would I wait to, would I've waited to now know that the iMac 27 inch is now discontinued? Like, I would be stuck. And I don't think for those needs, except for the fact that I would like to have a, like, it would be nice to have a Mac Studio because it seems to be a pretty neat machine and a pretty performant machine. But, would it allow me to? Well, it would allow me to possibly do better gaming, uh, <laughs> but it wouldn't change anything. It was just so. To me, the iMac is a no-brainer. Uh, it is still a great machine, and I really enjoy using it. Uh, I really enjoy the new designs. I don't care that much about the white bezel. I'm not like people say that for photo management, but I don't care. Like I do it, and that's fine. Or photo editing, like. <laughs> I do it. I like its design. It did refresh the iMac just enough, but it feels iMac to me. Um, and I expect it to be yet another big journey that we go together. And yes, I'm going more on the emotion- emotional side, but I had uh, my ass iMac for a bunch of time. I expect this one to be used for a bunch of times. Uh, and I strongly suggest that if you're looking for not only a family computer, you want to get your first Mac or you want to experience Apple. So look on like, I love the Mac mini, skip the Mac mini, just get an iMac. Yes, you could get possibly bigger screen, better, not better performance because same CPU, but you can get a better screen with a Mac mini and Apple studio display combo. But no, for the price you pay for uh, the convenience of an iMac, I think an iMac for a personal computer is still chef's kiss the best so pretty happy about that and uh i hope that it'll continue to be good value because it is still and that's it all right so you can find all the show notes for this episode at limitlesspossibility.net slash 185 or you can find all of the episodes of the podcast at limitlesspossibility.net including all the ones that were uh, recorded on you could have used previous imac oh uh, you can find the podcast on Twitter at Limipo underscore podcast. That's L-I-M-I-P-O underscore podcast. Or you can find us individually on Twitter. I am at Sakarina. That's S-A-K-U-R-I-N-A. And you can find Ducadivier at Lucanoche. That's L-U-C-C-O-N-O-U-C-H-E. And we'll see you in two weeks. See you in two weeks.